Running Light Ministry Podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. You can support these podcasts by making a gift to the ministries at runninglight.org. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Better Pleasure Podcast. This is episode 70, and I wanted to let you know too about our new website at betterpleasure.net. Um, or you can still use the old ones, betterpleasure.org or runninglight.org. We wanted to uh, finally design something a little newer. And hopefully it will be a little more friendly for you guys to look over our information, get familiar with it, send other people our way, and uh, hopefully for betterment and freedom in in Christ. So we will uh, talk to you later. Have a great time listening to the podcast. Today I wanted to chat a little bit about cohabitation with you. Oh, cool. You know, I was kicking back with a friend the other day, and we had a wonderful dinner, and we were, had a great, like, two-and-a-half-hour discussion, and it was just awesome. And one of the questions that came up was the issue of uh, fornication and, um, uh, you know, what what I thought about that and everything like that. And it was a great talk. I just loved it. You yeah. know? And so I, I wanted to talk a little bit about that on the podcast today. Um, since it is a kind of an old fuddy-duddy kind of feel when you talk <laughs> about fornication. Right. Um, but before we do, did you see the new Black Panther No, I, I didn't see it. Did you? No, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't see it. Um, I'm, not a, uh, I'm not a movie guy, you know, and, and I think you know that, but I'm not really into uh, Marvel stuff either. Yeah. Yeah, so the Marvel shows just don't hit me. I'm not a real action guy like that. Yeah. You know, I'm, I kind of get bored really easy. So after like <laughs> the first 10 minutes of that, whatever shooting is happening, I'm like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> so. Yeah, I'm kind of the opposite. <laughs> really? <laughs> I, think, I think so. I've heard there's a lot of different uh, kind of, uh, I don't know if it's controversies with this Black Panther movie or things like that, but... Regardless of whatever that is, um, I have no desire to see it. I haven't even seen the new Star Wars yet. Um, I'll probably wait till that comes uh, to my local cable <laughs> where I could just rent it, you know, yeah. with with my wife at the house. So, um, yeah, um, absolutely. So, <laughs> nope, didn't go see it. So, we'll have to one day see it in the house <laughs> instead <laughs> um uh how you doing doing good man. good yeah that's awesome that's good stuff man well we've had some good groups lately and yeah. uh i know i've been kind of hammering away on trying to get uh guys to work kind of on some of the the deeper things that are going on in their hearts mm-hmm. you know i'm really excited i had a talk with a young lady about uh helping out with our women's group yeah. and getting that rolling which was awesome nice yeah so um I'm I'm hoping um, uh, that develops. I'm uh, you know it, it, I always want that group, and I know you do too. We always want that group to kind of take off. Yeah. And it, it, it's rough. That's a rough one, you know. Uh, just as it's tough for men to come out and say something about their sexuality or sex in general, it's very difficult for women to uh, emit some kind of moral failure when it comes to uh, sexuality. Yeah. It's more commonly referred to as a man's problem, so it's it's tough for a woman to be able to admit it or to see it. Yeah, which is really odd, right? Yeah. It's like, why would it, you know, w- you, you know, we live in this modern day and age. Why can't everybody just come out and say, yo, I messed <laughs> up? <laughs> you think so. <laughs> yeah. No, I know, but it, it doesn't work like that, does it? No, it doesn't. 
No, okay. So you've worked with a lot of students in the college realm. Um, you know, do they ever bring up the issue of cohabitation? Because that's a big thing nowadays. If anybody has not known, we uh, live in a culture that cohabitation continually increases as the years go. Yeah. Um, especially on if you look at the long graph, you know, the, or the big graph, the wide graph, yeah. like over the last 10 years or the last 50 years or something like that, you're going to see it constantly go up. Yeah. You know? And I feel, you know, and correct me if I'm wrong, you know, you're you're a Generation Xer, so <laughs> you would know better than me. Yeah. Um, but what I feel happens in America is um, we try to live the Christian walk without any actual understanding of Scripture or power of the Spirit. And so what it ends up turning into is like a legalistic thing where, you know, you have in like the 50s where you have a facade of holiness, but underneath you have a lot of corruption. So... Uh, back in like the generation prior uh, to the one prior to you, right? So it, it was the baby boomers and then the 60s, 70s hippie generation, then you. Yeah. Um, so prior uh, in the baby boomer generation, it was like you were supposed to, you, you, you had to have like a good moral, you know, uh, family. You know, you had to have the husband, wife, the kids, the picket fence, all that stuff. And that was really important. Um, but what happened underneath the scenes really didn't matter. So it's like, you know, if I'm a husband and as long as I'm married to my one wife and I take care of my family, I might have a mistress, but you know, it's not a big deal. My marriage might not be the greatest, but as long as we stay married and we don't get divorced, it's all good. You know, we might hate each other, but as long as we stay the course, it's good. And then the next generation that grew up under that was like, dude, marriage sucks. You know, we don't want marriage. We want to just live free, you know, and not, and not take anything seriously and no commitment. And we're just going to have a good time, you know, and sex is just going to be fun. And then your generation comes and you realize like having a good time isn't the best of times. It's not all <laughs> that know? it's cracked it's up not, to be. It's not all it's cracked up to be. And so it's slowly, what I feel like is it slowly started to kind of swing back to understanding that there is some sort of a need for commitment. Um, but now in my generation, it's kind of swung back the other way where we're like, uh, we want commitment, but without the commitment, you know, we, we want to be able to have a commitment, uh, one partner, uh, and be dedicated to one another, but we just don't want to say vows. We don't want to make it official. Yeah. I kind of think your generation is kind of like, it's like the, uh, it's like the science generation where you guys are going, you know, what does the science say? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. About this cohabitation thing. And, you know, we'll kind of go about it like that. And when I looked at the cohabitation facts from the spruce.com, uh, um, it said living together is considered to be more stressful than being married. That's one of the things. Just over 50% of the first cohabitating couples never get married. That's pretty big. Yeah. So just over 50% of the first cohabitating couples never, ever actually get hitched. Yeah. So they just stay that way. They just stay that it's way. It's like, yo, this is it. In the United States and in the UK, couples who live together are at a greater risk of divorce than non-cohabitating couples. Mm. So couples who live together before marriage tend to divorce early in their marriage. If their marriage lasts seven years, then the risk factor of divorce is the same as couples who didn't cohabitate before marriage. Hmm. Cohabitating couples had a separation rate five times that of married couples and a reconciliation rate that was one-third that of married couples. Wow. 
five times. Yeah. I mean, already, it's there's some risk there. Yeah. Right. And then it says cohabitating couples are more likely to experience infidelity. Yeah. You know, um, so it still seems like even if you just look at the from the science, from you young folk <laughs> perspective, man. We believe in science. That's man. right. You guys are into that. Like everything's science, man. Um, you know, for that's that's how you guys roll. <laughs> it's the Nacho Libre culture. And um, right. yeah, but uh, it still doesn't seem like a too good of a <laughs> move. <laughs> no, it, no, it ain't. But uh, I don't think that we see it that way. So uh, essentially, uh, and this is something that is going to be a huge bummer for my generation. There's two ways you could learn wisdom, you know, you, to learn how to live your life. You could either live your life, experience mistakes and learn from them, or you can study what other people have done before you and avoid mistakes altogether. Uh, my generation, because we're independent and we think of ourselves as free thinkers and, and awesome, we think that we can't <laughs> learn anything from history because we're like, well, history is just uh, written by losers. So, you know, we're, we're going to live out the way that we want to live and we're going to avoid the mistakes that other people have made seamlessly. So they'll look at statistics like that and be like, oh, well, you know, that's what, just what it says, you know. But that's not the way it's like with me and my girlfriend. You know, we're not going to be like that. Of you course know? not. <laughs> of course not. So we have no faith, right? We have no belief in anything beyond ourselves. So even when we read that, we're just like, ah, eh, well, that's, that's nothing. You know, I'm still yeah. gonna do what I want to do. Right. So it's it's it. You know, I tend to think, um, you know, that right now we live in such an extreme narcissistic hmm. world um, and culture. It's narcissism on a level that we just never have. I don't think ever experienced before. Yeah. Philosophically narcissistic. Yeah. You know. Um, where we just uh everything is about us and uh and our sexuality especially is so wrapped up in us yeah. um where um it's now my sexuality my identity my this you know m me um where there is no there is no consideration for others in our sexuality and there's no consideration for our future right or uh, those type of things. Right. You know, it's simply just us, <laughs> you know, just me. And it's encouraged. Uh, yeah. Right. That kind of mentality is encouraged. And the way that my generation looks at it is like, I'm going to just do this in my 20s, get it out of my system, and then I'll be ready to settle down in my 30s. And, you know, you and I have talked a lot about this, that it's a mentality that you can, when you want to, just turn off lust. You know, just be like, oh, I'm done lusting. Yeah. Now I'm going to love and care for someone else. Yeah. And it just doesn't work that way. Yeah. And, you know, really, you know, what in the culture, a good question to always ask yourself and other people is what is love? You know, because that is such a uh, deciphering kind of question, you know, really uh, shows the heart, shows where someone's thinking. Because yeah. people do have different definitions of that. Vastly different. You know, I... um Every now and then I get a chance to watch like uh try one of the new series that's on Netflix or the the series that's on some show, you know, or you know, um I have Stars, uh, the Stars network, so I get to check that out and um 
see some of the things. But it's funny how all these like shows, these series shows, are all real similar yeah. in nature. They all have, um, you know, these multiple stories that are going on, multiple characters that they're trying to follow. And it's usually like five or seven of them. You know, it seems like a lot. Yeah. And they just keep jumping from storyline to storyline and how, and then you kind of get how they all mesh a little bit here and there. Yeah. Um, and you see all these different relationships. You know, there's, there's, there's all kinds of relationships going on. There's, you know, there's, there's heterosexual relationships. There's homosexual relationships. There's uh, even polygamy relationships and polyandry and polyamory. And you kind of, you kind of see the political correctness of it all where it seems like whoever's doing the producing is going, Hey, we got to put this in. We have to put this in, (laughs) you know, we have to make sure, you know, uh, it's so funny in a world that says that we praise Martin Luther King for, um, that we're against racism. It seems like we certainly focus on race quite a bit. Yeah. And now in our culture where everything has to do with race, right? you know, um, which is so sad. We really have gone backwards, I think, from Martin Luther King's day, right? you know, in, in so many ways. But you could see the whole political correctness and everything, even with the sexuality of stuff. Yeah. But they use that term love all the time. Right. In these shows. They're always saying, I love you and love and love and love. And yet their sexual lives that they show on these <laughs> things are just... They're like imploding. It's just so reckless, you know, where they equate love with sex and and there's some kind of connection there. Right. Where when I say I love you, that means we hop in the sack right now. Right. You know, where you would get the idea that, that, you know, um, there's just not a separation from the two. You know, where no one loves and then there's any kind of restraint in really the loving, Mm. Um, you know, so, but when they say they love each other, um, they can meet each other for a week, you know, and say, I love you, you know, you're the best, bam. And they have this passionate, intimate scene, you know, and, and then their, then their lives implode and they're, and then they're with another person and then they love them and then they have intimacy with them, you know, and, and, and. And and it's it's so yucky. I just can't. It's hard for me to think of someone watching the show and not getting that. Right. You know, like it seems like everybody who watches shows like that has to see it and go, man, dude, these people like, do I want to use my sexuality like this? Because this is like reckless. Yeah. You know. And th- I, th- I think you already said the real issue because you said that our society is such a narcissistic one, meaning that we're about ourselves. And so the question that you'd have to ask is, if I'm a narcissist, which deep down, you know, I, I kind of am. So if I'm a narcissist and I don't, uh, that means I don't really value other people's opinions anyway. So the question is like, what do I value? And the answer would have to be my own emotions, right? The way I feel about things. And so how do people in my generation feel? I mean, how do they determine what love is? And it's by strength of emotion. So it's like if I run into someone and I feel kind of warm feelings about them, it's like, ah, I might love that person. But if I run into something and we click and there's hot, passionate, fiery emotions, I'm like, I love you. And what we believe is that if you, 
if you make it too much about intelligence, about rationality and like, okay, well, let's talk about where our future is and where we're going, then you're not functioning off of the spontaneity of love. Right, you know? off that, uh, uh, what they, that passion. The passion. That people talk about, that That's clicking. Right. That clicking yeah. and that, you're not being true to yourself. Right. You have to sit down and think and talk about it. So for them, it's like if the emotion leaves, then that means I'm not in love with you anymore. So I haven't done anything wrong because we're not in love anymore, right? It's weird in a world that's, in a young generation like yourself that's so boastful on science, <laughs> there's absolutely no science to what they're doing. There's none, you know? <laughs> and, and we actually, in a weird way, again, we pride ourselves on this because we're like, you know, we're actually being true to ourselves, you know? We're being true to our love, you know? And if you think too hard about things and you're not really loving, you need to have a gut feeling. And that's why a lot of times, you know, if you watch shows like that, uh, and someone's struggling, they're like, I don't know if I love this person. Usually what the, the friend, like a friend will come up and they'll try to talk to them. They'll have a heart to heart with them. Usually how the conversation is going to go is they'll be like, well, how do you feel about them? You know, right now, how do you feel about them? And they'll be like, uh, I guess I want to stay with them and be like, then you love them, right? It's just how you feel in that moment. You're like, oh, then you love them, mm-hmm. you know, or I don't know if I'm gay or not. Well, how do you feel about this person? Well, I feel this way. Oh, then you're gay. Yeah. You know, or no, 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 you're straight because that's not how you're supposed to feel, right? It's, it's yeah. all about emotion. It's all about emotion and attraction, right? And attraction and, and how you're going to feel. And that's why cohabitation is something that my generation is always going to kind of champion because we're going to say like, well, how do you know that I'm always going to feel that way about that person, right? I've fallen out of love before. So how can I make a vow to you if I don't know how I'm going to feel in 10 years? Right. It it makes no sense. So let's live together. And then that will give me a better understanding of how I feel about you. Yeah. Give it enough time. Which is so weird because it's defining love based off of your own. And this is the narcissistic side of it. Your own. uh, Your own. I hate to say feelings, but you're you're defining love based on your own present. Right. Feelings. Right. Um, Just at the moment. You know, that this is love. You know, what is it the way I feel right now? Right. You know, but, you know, that could change with eating a bad taco. (laughs) And then you can, maybe I don't love anymore. Maybe I don't love you, yeah. Yeah, or, or, you know, something, or they do something wrong, and now you go, I don't know if I love them. Yeah. You know, um, that passion's gone. It's gone, yeah. Or those type of things. And so in a weird way, again, we think that we're being honorable because we're like, it would be wrong for me to say vows to you if I don't know I'm going to feel that way for the rest of my life. So I'm just not, let's live together for a while. That's kind of like a middle of the ground kind of decision. And uh, essentially what happens, and there's a great New York Times article about cohabitation where all these articles, it's so funny, they try so hard not to paint it as negative. Right, right. This one's doing it too. Yeah, they're like, try, they're like, it's a good thing. All the facts say otherwise, but it's a good thing. You know, just look past the facts and realize that it's a good thing. And it, it was so funny how I was reading the article because it just, he was trying so hard to find something good about it. And there really wasn't anything. And uh, some of the couples that he interviewed, so one couple lived together for, I think, six or seven years. Mm-hmm. And then in the first year of marriage, they got divorced. And he hung out with the girl and he said, like, well, why did you divorce uh, your husband? You know, you guys were living together for six, seven years and uh, you you never broke up with him. But then the second you got married, you divorced him. And she basically nailed down the reasons of why she divorced him. I think it was really intriguing what she said. She nailed it down to basically three generalized reasons. 
She said the first reason is that when she was living with him, she felt like she was in a never-ending day-in, day-out audition to see if she was good enough to become his wife. So in other words, she felt used. She felt like she was always having to live up to an expectation of what he thought a good wife would be. And then if she lived up to it enough, then he would pop the question and be like, now I'm, now I'm confident that I'll love you forever. Because you finally have me- met the, the requirements. You've made the requirements. And so when she got married to him, those feelings of being used and that resentment never went away. And so that resentment just stayed in their marriage to the point where she couldn't stand him anymore. She's like, here, I had to live up to all your standards, but you're not living up to mine. So yeah. why should I stay married to you? And that was the first reason. The second reason is because it's, and this is statistically true, that people's expectations for a spouse are lower than the expectations for a live-in partner which means that I'll start living with someone even if I don't think that they merit being my spouse. And so when you do that, essentially what you've done is the only reason why you're marrying this person is because you're like, well, it's been five years. I think I owe them a ring at this point. Right. You know, like I think, I think this is like the next logical step. But you're, again, your opinion of that person isn't going to change just because you slap a ring on their finger. Yeah. Right. If you didn't think that they were marriage material – before you put a ring on their finger, five years of living with them isn't going to change that. Right. And then uh, the third and final reason that she gave was that um, in their dating relationship, when they were having this time of living together, she felt like she had a freedom to leave whenever she wanted to. So because there was no commitment holding her there, she felt like, well, if things don't work out, I could always just leave. But now that she was married, she felt trapped and it freaked her out. She's like, I can't leave this person even if I wanted to. Yeah. And when she felt that way, she was like, the love totally dissipated in her. And so she felt like she had the right to leave. Yeah. Which is so sad because none of these things we're talking about are love. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like, again, the, the words used, then she doesn't love him anymore, but she never loved him to begin with. Right. And, and, and that's, and that's what we're saying. Can you, um, yeah, I mean, what you're talking about is, I think, that inertia effect that was on this website, uh, the Spruce, where it said engaged couples need to be aware of the inertia effect. They're talking about cohabitation couples. It says it tends to become more difficult to break up because of your greater investment in the relationship over time. What happens is that the couple that would otherwise not ha- not have married sort of slowly slide <laughs> into marriage <laughs> anyway. Those who live together with the goal of marriage are not at risk, just those without a clear direction about commitment. Mm. So, so it seems like, I- again, there's that commitment word that they can't even get rid of. Right. Right? So is there such a thing as love without commitment? You know, is love, is anybody's definition of love void of commitment? Right. So can someone say, I love my kids. Um, I love my friend, you know, uh, with any of it. Can you, you, can the word love be attached or could it be in its meaning, in its definition, void of commitment? Mm. You know, and I mean, we have to ask that question to people. Do people believe that? And people go, oh yeah, I think you can love something and not be committed to it. Um, then I would like to know <laughs> what it is exactly. Right. And we, we would say that, but we certainly wouldn't want to live it. Right. Or we so wouldn't want it maybe lived to us that way. Right. We definitely wouldn't want people to do that to us. So it's like, so is it, is it okay if your dad just, if he wasn't feeling it anymore, just said, you know, you're not my son, you know, and just kicks you out. 
not that you did anything wrong, but he's just like, you know, what? I'm not feeling being your father anymore. So I'm going to walk out on you. You know, would you be okay with that? Would that be a good definition of love for you? You know, or if your, uh, or if your brother or sister said that to you, or if your best friend said that to you, you know, well, you're kind of a bummer now, so you're not my best friend anymore. You know, I'm just going to walk out on you. Uh, or if you did get married, would you want your spouse to have that ability? Right. So uh, obviously people would say, no, of course, I don't want that. Well, then if you say you don't want that, that that means that you do value commitment. Right. You do value the idea of someone being committed to you. I think it was in Jane Eyre, uh, that book about that girl, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> a very famous book. Mm -hmm. But in Jane Eyre, she there's a moment where she uh, wants to leave this guy for another guy and she's talking to herself. And she's she's married to this one guy. She's already made a commitment to him. But she wants to leave him for another guy. In in her conversation with herself, she basically says, "Should I leave him for what my heart wants now?" And she says, "No, I made the commitment so that I could tell my heart what to do in moments of distress." You know, and it's kind of a cool little line that she's telling herself. So in essence, what she's saying, and what I think our culture needs to hear, is that your heart is not always correct. <laughs> right? It's not always right. So we make commitments to temper our hearts when they're wrong. So I say, I'm committed, like a father will say to his son, I'm committed to being your father, no matter what my emotions are feeling in the moment, so that when things do get rough, right, when my kid is bugging me and I don't want to be a dad anymore and I feel like running out of my family, I will look at the commitment that I made and I'll hold true to that as a higher authority than my heart, what my heart's experiencing in the moment. And that gives, again, it gives your kid and it gives yourself a line of security in the relationship that it's not dependent on something as wishy-washy as your heart. Yeah. Right? And, it, and, it, and I think going, um, talking about cohabitation has brought up something really important and that is this issue of love. Mm. And a lot of times we talk about love being something of passion mm. in the Bible because we see God as a passionate God who loves his people. Right. But what you're talking about now is is the importance of duty, mm. that there is an important concept of duty so that when the chips are down and the passion's not there mm. because of behavioral problems, um, that there is this higher authority that you're looking at. There's something else that you're that that's holding you to stay with that person. And we, we would call that there's a duty, mm. there this higher authority. There's a duty to do it. There's a bigger picture mm. that's involved. And and so it is our duty to stay in something right. because of an overall bigger picture, meaning meaning this is this is better for this this is better for that and a lot of times we on even on this podcast we have emphasized so much the idea of the passion and you know having love cuz so many marriages fail in those areas cuz they're maybe staying together because of just duty that they really lack all that good passion mm. and desire and but i love the fact that now we're touching on that if you will that other side of the coin and saying there is something to be said that your generation has really sorely lacked, and that's that that idea of duty, mm. um, that idea of this is this is the right thing to do. Right. This is the overall better thing to do. Right. Um, for this person's betterment. 
and for maybe even the world yeah or you know or that kind of thing it's like we we've lost an overall duty of what is um maybe better to do right you know so we just are you guys are just riding off of the passion right and the number one doctrine that I think that the Bible has for my generation would be Jeremiah 17, the hardest deceitful and wicked above all things who can know it. Meaning when, it, when someone in my generation can finally admit that their emotions are not to be trusted, then all of a sudden they could start moving forward. But until they reach that point where they're like, my heart can't be trusted, it's not, my emotions are not always a good thing. They're not always a bad thing, but they're not always a good thing either. Right. Their emotions are emotions. Right. They can be good or they can be bad um, until you've r run into that. And you then then you can start actually tempering your passions with obligation, with duty and seeing the beauty in that. Right. Um, I, I use this example um, a lot. But what I say to people, self-control is not a means to lose pleasure. Self-control is a means to greater pleasure. Always. Yeah. Right. So, for instance, you know, why, why is it that an adult, say, um, doesn't eat just cake for dinner, right? As a kid, you always think like, because your parents always say like, as long as you live here, you got to eat what I tell you. But when you grow up, you could eat whatever you want. And every kid who's five is like, Psh, when I grow up, I'm going to eat candy for dinner and I'm going to, I'm going to spoil my appetite every single time, right? My mom can't tell me what to do forever. Everyone thinks that, but when you get to 18, the vast majority of people don't do that. And the question I have for them is like, okay, so why don't you just eat dessert for dinner? And everyone realizes that number one, you can absolutely have too much of a good thing and it spoils the goodness of it, right? If I only ate cake, cake would cease to be as special because cake is just what I always eat. Cake only becomes special is if I eat something uh, healthy and sustaining for my body before I eat cake, right? Then it will become something that's special, it's a dessert. It's a, it's a blessing. It's a pleasure, right? And you also understand that if you only ate cake, it would be massively bad for your body and your health, right? So when you ask a person, like, why don't you eat cake? It's not because they're not looking for pleasure. It's because they're looking for deeper pleasure in their dessert. That's right. Like, no, I found a better way to enjoy it. And that's by controlling myself and waiting for the right moment to enjoy it, right? Yeah. And my... The, the point that I would have for them is why wouldn't that work in every facet of life, right? Why wouldn't yeah. it work in every facet of life? I mean, doesn't it work for your career? It's like, yeah, you could drop out of high school and get a job at, you know, McDonald's and work there for the rest of your life. You could do that, right? But most people um, s control themselves what they want to do because let's face it, no kid in high school, well, most kids in high school don't want to actually graduate, right? They don't actually want to put forth the effort. I wanted to drop out. I hated school, right? Most, right. most kids are like that. Um, but we suck it up and we control our instincts and we suffer for a while that we might have greater pleasure in a richer, more fuller career that we want. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Why wouldn't it work that way towards relationships that I might want to do something, but I control myself so I can enjoy the richer, deeper pleasures and passions of God's love as opposed to my love, which is, let's face it, it's weak and it's really, really fickle. Right. It could go one direction one day. It could go a completely different direction the next day. And if I want deeper, more passionate feelings, maybe I have to control myself. Yeah. So duty, duty implies that there is a resisting. Right. 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 That's what you're saying. That's right. And and which 
those TV shows don't understand. That's right. <laughs> right? Because if, if, if it didn't involve resisting, then duty is totally superfluous, right? It, it, it's right. meaningless. Right. If it's just like, that's what I always want to do, then there's no sense in duty, right? Uh, C.S. Lewis put it that way in his book, Mere Christianity. He mm -hmm. says, if, if marriage is all about just loving the other person, then the vows add nothing, <laughs> right? If it's like, I'm with you because I feel this way, then what good is it to say, I vow to love you no matter what? Right. Right. It, it means nothing. He says the only way that it means something is if you realize that your emotions will one day go against your vows. That you'll need something else. That's right. The vows are saying duty is going to trump my emotions at this point, yeah. like or in the future. Right. Like I am going to stay with you. Yeah. You know, which... You know, to me, like on those TV shows, what happens and in life is when you mimic that kind of stuff with your sexuality and you just go and have sex with people and everything's based off this passion and emotion of it all, is then then everything's just, you're regulated to what is a better um, high. Mm. You know, like it, everything becomes, you know, what kind of, what kind of butt are you smoking? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, is that indica bud? Is that skunk bud? You know what I mean? It's just like that. It's like that with sex. Yeah. It's like, oh, that was great. That was amazing. And that's what you hear in these shows. It's like, that was amazing sex. Yeah. Like, yeah, but there's, I'm sure you can find better. Yeah. You know, that's, the, that's always the begging the question, right? Right. It's like, what, and then they do, and then they find something else. And it's like, wow, that's the high. And, you know, that was great, you know, and they always have these little innuendos like that. Like, yeah, but it was great sex. Yeah. You know, yeah. like what does that have to do with anything? Yeah. You know, and that and that leads to the other point that I, I already mentioned, but I just want to elaborate on a little bit. What makes cake so special for someone is the exclusivity of it, meaning that's not all I eat. Right. It's, it's something special that I eat on occasion. Um, in the same realm, it's like if there's nothing special about the relationship I have with my wife, if it's just the same, meaning if I look at my wife as the same as every other girl, and I'm like, I enjoy my wife because of what she can give me. But if I could find it better somewhere else with someone else, I'll leave you. Yeah. That means there's nothing special about my wife or our relationship. It's just special right now, right? But there's nothing exclusive about it. Yeah. Right? When you take away the specialness of something, you take away its desire. It's just like, you know, we found this out uh, earlier when we decided like AYSO decided to give participation awards to everybody, right? If everybody gives a trophy, no one feels like a winner, right? The only way that someone feels like a winner is if there are losers, right? <laughs> if right. there's, if there's only one person who gets it and no one else gets it, then the trophy has, uh, it has merit. It has value. It has specialness. It has a real feeling of reward, right? So what they found psychologically is when everybody receives a, an award, the kids who know they didn't deserve it feel like junk because they feel like they don't deserve it and so they, they just throw it away. And the kids who actually did deserve it also feel like junk because they're like, everyone else got one anyway. So it doesn't even matter that I worked hard. So in a relationship, if my wife feels like I'm not really special to Peter, right? I'm just special right now. But if he found some girl he found more attractive or that he got along with better or that he clicked with in a more real way, then he would leave me, right? It totally takes away from the exclusivity of the relationship. And what is it about the culture that that has, you know, God, it, it seems like there's so there's such a blinder on where they've settled for such low expectation, you know, <laughs> like they're so just like, you know what, this sucks. It's almost a nihilistic culture, too. Yeah. 
where so it's not just narcissistic but it's nihilistic it's like it's like this is the best maybe it's gonna get you know we're gonna try it out and you know but you know i might find better i might not so we're gonna kind of try yeah you know it's just so (laughs) it's like such a drag you know and and in doing so they already have forfeited love because it's already out of the equation right you know right so and you can't and and whenever you have someone like that they become very impulsive and they can never develop deeper or more passionate feelings right because deeper passionate feelings only happen when the roots go deep yeah when trials happen when trials happen it's just you know i I use this example as well i I remember when i was a kid they did the first biosphere Mm -hmm. um you probably remember it too we have one in tucson yeah (laughs) yeah. they they did the very first biosphere and everyone was psyched because they're like man like we're going to create an environment ecosystem all by ourselves and prove we don't need god you know right to do it we can we can engineer it and tons of problems happen right off the bat but one of the biggest problems that i remember still from a kid is that all the trees just fell over right? They just fell over and we couldn't figure out what was going on. And what they realized is that when you plant trees in a closed environment where there's no resistance or wind, they never have a reason to develop roots because food is just so easy for them. People just come up and feed them. And so because of that, they never have to grow roots down deep to get to the deeper uh, levels of water or moisture. And they never have to grow down roots deep because there's no resistance. And so because of that, they're just, they're flimsy, right? The, The slightest push will make them fall over. And your emotions are the same way. If every single time you could find something easier or better, you just jump ship and you go to another thing, your emotions of love will never grow roots. You'll never have to learn how to, when you're in a fight with your wife, to grow down the deep roots into the deep soil and anchor yourself in and say like, no, like this woman is awesome. Even though I'm not feeling it right now, I know she's awesome and I know I love her and I know I care for her. And I know that this marriage has had its good points and it will have good points in the future. Right? I just have to believe, right? And you trust and those roots grow down and your emotions become more passionate and deep and personal, right? But if you just, every single time you jump ship, you're, you're always going to be shallow, yeah. right? The second any amount of resistance comes, you're going to fall over. Yeah, and that's why defining love is so vital, right? Because right. if it doesn't, if if again, if love is void of commitment or permanent permanency, we can say that. Yeah, permanency. Um, so it's just a limited commitment. If that's what love is, then yeah, can can other attributes of love be there too? Mm. Perseverance mm. is that a part of love? Right long suffering is that a part of love yeah you know how can you do those things if love your definition of love carries with it a permanency of commitment Mm. you know so we run into all kinds of problems with this (laughs) this idea you know and people are trying it all over the place um which is unfortunate so i'm not gonna uh, I'll, I may might still watch some of those shows, but <laughs> I, I try not to get too frustrated yeah. <laughs> with it. Yeah, no, it can't. It can't be. I know what you mean. You know, it can be very frustrating, and it's funny because I, you know, I'm. It's probably just because of what we do. Yeah. That I've, I'm so sensitive to it. Yeah. Where when I watch movies and shows like this, I'm like, you know what? This is more offensive to me than porn. You know? Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, really, yeah. In oh, a yeah. lot of ways, it is. You know. Yeah. And that probably sounds hardcore to people, but it really is because it's like when people watch porn. 
It's like for most people, it's yeah. It's just it's just they want they want to have fun. Yeah, you know they're not like shaping their life off of porn. Right. They're not like you know whenever a, a milkman comes to the door like they're just like, you know porn. <laughs> they're all you man. Know, they're like, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna live porn out. <laughs> I'm gonna live porn out. Like really, no one does. Very that. seldom. You know, very 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 point oh five. Yeah, like no one does that. And they're but in jail. people really do live out their lives based on these romantic comedies and yeah. these TV shows. Like people really like kids watching it really are shaping their views of what love is and relationships and relationships and how relationships yeah. should look and so for me when i watch stuff it, like it really does offend me <laughs> a lot more than porn I'm yeah because like, porn is you know when you think of porn it's just sex yeah and and you can and you know in sex it's hard to it's hard to shape morality by watching sex yeah just watching sex scenes you know <laughs> it's hard to go oh morale you know oh i could tell you know that this is a christian couple or <laughs> i could tell this is a muslim couple. Cu i mean you can't under you don't you don't know that there's no context there's no context there's no, it's just sex that's right so it's hard to shape the morality of where they're at or, or <laughs> their life let you know whatever's going on in life but certainly in those shows there yeah i can see what you're saying they're definitely painting the the picture of life yeah. and how life should be lived and those type of things and so yeah it's it's definitely can be one of those things where it hits our hearts and goes uh you know we we realize that the world you know not everybody n knows their eyes aren't open to jesus and his what he taught and um and what he promised which was the holy spirit to teach us new things a new way and that way was the way of love yeah. And um, so, uh, you know, our main thing is not to get upset at people who don't know Christ, <laughs> right. you know, and be like, man, what's wrong with them? Yeah. And that type of thing. We have to learn to have compassion on people and realize that if anything, it makes me realize that, wow, you know, um, man, my, my thinking has changed so much, <laughs> <laughs> you know, over yeah. the years. And um, and uh, and it's you know, it's good for us to enter into dialogue. And so just to bring it to a circle at the end, when I met with the, my friend and had the dinner and uh, talked about cohabitation and other things too, homosexuality and all kinds of stuff, mm. it was great because I had a lot of compassion. I, I you know, wouldn't get, a, I didn't get offended by any questions or didn't get ruffled or anything. Mm. And what it helped me to do is just ask him questions of what he thinks about these topics and right. and what does he think about love and what does he think about this and what does he think about that or what are, you know because uh, what we find in asking questions to people is is that it helps them to kind of gather their own thoughts and what they maybe believe hmm. or what they what they don't believe right and um, and so you know we can definitely impact people that way absolutely because you know. like you said both for a christian so for someone who's not a christian the way i always put it to people is like the the concept of love is abstract you know my generation loves abstract art you know an abstract art if you guys haven't seen it yet it's just it's the art where it's just a bunch of colors mashed together you know all on a screen and what people like to do is they like to look at it and they like to interpret it as they want they're like this is what i see when I look at this. Right, there's like a line right. or two. Right, there's like a line. <laughs> yeah, and they're like, yeah, I see like, you know, fire and I see, you know, passion and I feel that the governments are coming down. And, you know, they, they come up with all these weird interpretations of art. But it's like if I paint a picture of like a mountain, it's like you can't really read your interpretation into that. You might be able to interpret what I was feeling when I drew that, but it's a mountain. 
right? It's, it's objective. It's objectively amount. It's not abstract, right? Most people in my generation think that love is abstract. They don't think of love as like a painting of a mountain. They think of love as like a painting of like all these different colors where it's just like everyone reads into it what they want. But in 1 John 3.16, John writes this. He says, by this we know love. That Christ laid down his life for us, so we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now, John was a grown man when he met Jesus. You know, he had, he had parents. He certainly had brothers and sisters. He had friends. He had experienced love before. But what he knew when he experienced Jesus is he said, I experienced, when I looked at Jesus and his dying for us, I experienced objective love. What love ought to be always, all times, and in all circumstances. And what he did is he took all of his concepts of love and he didn't throw them out, but he tested them against Jesus. He says, my, my imaginations of love are now going to come up against the true love of God and it's going to teach me what real love is. Yeah, Jesus becomes the standard. He becomes the standard. But if you don't know Jesus, then you don't have a standard. Then love really is abstract. It's just kind of whatever works for you. you know, but if you know Jesus, then you say, no, no, there's a definitive way to love people. And there's a definitive way to not. Yeah. And there's a, and there's an incredible pessimism too in the culture because it's not like we as a church have done a great job in loving. <laughs> no. You know, and when you have, you know, so many marriages that uh, struggle today, even within the church, um, where we, we can't seem to do simple things. We can't seem to, we don't know how to deal with sinful behavior in a marriage. We don't know how to forgive. We don't know how to give grace. We don't know how to have mercy. Mm. We don't know how to discuss our feelings, um, the insecurities, the temptations. Mm. We don't know how to discuss these things. We have a deadly fear. Um, um, what it's done is it's not brought us to freedom. It's, it's actually kept us in incredible bondage mm. within marriage lives and um and has made us very unpassionate and undesirable right to a world that's looking in right and that's exactly what jesus said right by your love for one another they will know that you are my disciples yeah so it's, it's kind of hard for me to look at the world and say i have the answer and then they look at the church and they're like what are you talking about you know you're just as messed up as us right it's hard for me to say that but what what we ultimately point people to is jesus we say it's not that the standard is broken, is that we're not using it, right? If everybody really did love like Jesus, I, I'm, I'd be hard-pressed to run into an atheist and, and show them the love of Jesus through Scripture and be like, do you think we should love like that? And they'd be like, no, you know, we shouldn't love like that. That's, that's terrible, you know, to put people above yourself and to die for them and to care for them no matter what and to care for their betterment more than your own. Like, that's garbage. Like, I would never love someone like that. Like, pretty much no one would say that. We all know that we ought to love that way, but we just don't. You know, so we fudge the numbers and we say, that's not the standard. You know, it's just, that's, that's unrealistic. No one could live that way. I'm going to love the way I love. Um, but what we as Christians would say is like, no, Jesus remains the standard and we should always be pushing towards him. We're not going to be there we should always be getting closer and closer. And even with the example that you gave, Bo, of, um, you know, husbands not being willing to open up to their wives or wives not being willing to open up to husbands. And the question I'd ask is like, well, where does that come from? Does that come from studying Jesus? It's like, no, for me as a man, the reason why I don't open up to my wife is because my, my ideas of how a husband loves 
his wife, doesn't come from Jesus. It comes from my culture. And my culture says, oh, you know, men don't feel that way. You know, we just bottle stuff up and we deal with them like men, you know. And, and women uh, from their culture get like, oh, I don't say that to my husband because he's not going to care because he's not very emotional anyway. You know, he's a man. You know, he just he just sees things logically and he tries to fix everything. It's like, okay, so, but is that how Jesus is? Like when people went and talked to Jesus, was he just like, I'm a man, you know? Right. Mary came to him after her brother died and started crying. And Jesus is like, Mary, I'm a man. I don't cry. You know, I don't cry. <laughs> you know, like, no, it says Jesus wept with her, right? He cries right. with her. So once we start throwing out our ideas of what we think love should be, and like I said, testing it against the true standard and changing accordingly, then all of a sudden we're becoming more loving. But if we just say, no, I, I, you know, I, I get that Jesus is love, but you're not going to put any of the ways that you love up against his standard, then you're not going to change. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So it's vital that we, um, we always question uh, wherever we're at in life is, you know, what is our definition of love? What is our standard? You know, um, those type of things. Obviously, as Christians, we see Christ as being love incarnate, mm. you know, so we have a standard that's objective that's outside of us. Mm. You know, where if you're not, then you have to figure out what your standard is. Mm. And it might just be you. You might be the standard. Right. Um, yet, you know, the Bible would say that's a really shaky ground. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, but uh, you might, I, I know for a lot of us growing up uh, as secular atheists, that's kind of how we were. You know, you just think that way. Right. You know, um, everything is emotional and everything is based on how you are feeling, what your brain's saying at the moment, um, which is unfortunate. So we also see that love carries with it the idea of commitment, mm. uh, um, biblically speaking. That's why cohabitation would be considered wrong. Mm. Um, because um, if you're cohabitating and you're not committed to someone um, in, in a permanency kind of way, uh, again, how can you be loving? How does love have half of, uh, you know, carry with it just uh, a temporary permanency? Right. And then also the other idea I think we talked on was that love also carries with it the idea of resistance. Mm. You know, that uh, no matter what these television shows are s telling <laughs> us all the time, yeah. you know, is that really loving to not resist? Like I'm waiting for someone to finally in this show, these shows go, you know what? I love you. Therefore, I am not going to have sex with you, <laughs> you know? Yeah, keep waiting. <laughs> yeah, right? It's like instead of, no, I love you. Let's have sex because that's how I'm measuring everything, Right. you know? So we'll end the podcast there. Podcast 70 down in the <laughs> books. Um, we hope to catch everybody later. We did uh, just start a, um, or we just put out a new website. So betterpleasure.net, which is, I think everything now is going to betterpleasure.net. Um, so runninglight.org, betterpleasure.org. And um, we hope you guys check it out. We hope it becomes um, a place where people can go and get, get some resources for this stuff. Check out runninglight.org to begin our two video series, Take Flight and Love or Lust. You can also send us questions on Twitter at runninglight or on our runninglight.org podcast page. Like us on Facebook at Running Light Ministries. Psalm 36, 8. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures.